all this morning. Um, uh, thanks to Chris who filled in the last couple of weeks. And I know that he told you all that we're going to be taking turns as um, teaching the class. And it's interesting to I've listened to some of his teaching and, and I was like, oh, I got to say this. Oh, I got to say that, you know, and just kind of back and forth. I don't know if we'll ever get started because of all the, you know, stuff that we need to need to talk about going back and forth. But um, before we get started, though, y'all know I was in Peru for the last couple of weeks and um, wanted to give you an update on that because Chris is, as he told you <clears throat> the first week, he's kind of uh, one of his three jobs now. I kind of joke and say we need to be careful or we're going to run him back to Croatia full time if we don't let up on him a little bit. But, um, um, yeah, he's actually got three jobs now. One of them is our missions pastor. And um, I think that door might be locked and somebody's trying to get in. They took off. Um, Sorry. Um, so anyway, he's back. Uh, well, now they're visiting a supporting church today. But um, in the meantime, we have Beth and Greg that are missionaries. Uh, it's, it's Ruth's sister, Beth, and her husband Greg are missionaries in Egypt. Right? Is that y'all still in Egypt? I visited them in their home in Egypt. I can't remember when it was. Um, maybe do y'all remember. 2013, 14, something like that. But I can guarantee you, without a shadow of a doubt, if you want the best, let me say that differently, if you want the scariest ride you've ever had in an automobile in your life, ride through Cairo with Beth. I haven't I haven't ridden with Greg, but I vividly remember riding with Beth, right? So we're going down, we're packed in. The two guys I was with, I'm pretty good size, but the two guys that I was with, Wayne Vanderweer, if you know him, and Mark Shaw, both, I kid you not, what, six, 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 seven, three fifty-ish plus, and then Wayne's wife who is probably 5'2", 85 pounds, and me and Beth all in the little sedan. So we're like this, and we're going, and I kid you not, I probably talked about this when I got back, because, I mean, this is, that was a long time ago, and I remember it like yesterday. She turns right in a one-way road coming at us. You know, I mean, we are going the wrong way on the one-way road. And But the traffic was back there, and there was a spot about 300 yards up that you could dip to the right and then go back up the way we were supposed to go and be going the right way. But something was jammed up here, and she had the wherewithal to know this is jammed up, but they're stuck up there 300 yards. If we turn right here and nail it and then take a quick right and a left, we'll be okay. And that's what she did. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, the other day. So the guy that we were serving there was a guy named uh, Yasser Farah, and uh, he's a biblical counselor. He's a medical doctor, but he his, uh, does biblical counseling as well. And and uh, we rode with him out through the desert. They call it the Desert Road. Imagine that. Uh, real unique name. Uh, but anyway, um, so um, the driving there was crazy. And, and they, I kid you not, he told us that bumpers are on cars for a reason. To bump. I mean, they take that literally, do they not? And he told me, he said, if you live here more than, I forget what he said, how many years, but it wasn't long, and you haven't flipped completely over, you're beating the odds. Because it's like going to the fair and riding the bumper cars, you know. And, and so you start looking around, every car's bumpers are just all tattered. But uh, So that's the fun life of missions, learning how to drive in a foreign country. Um, and we think we get upset, but so welcome y'all. Glad you're here for a few months and you can hone your driving skills in Atlanta traffic. That might be fun to go riding with Beth in Atlanta traffic to see how she does with that. But, um, but greetings from the folks in Peru. They were uh, really blessed to know that, that, um, I was able to go and be part of, um, the graduation for the seminary that we had there. Um, there was um, five students that finished the first two years 
uh, one uh, Rosa Cusi, uh, the wife of Eremias, and so she could only do the first two years because the remainder of the program is um, for men only because it's getting into the hermeneutics and the preaching and the pastoral leadership and those kind of classes. <clears throat> but Rosa finished the the first uh, two years and was actually the best student. A blessing for me because Kit and I know um, both Rosa and Aramis's parents. Uh, one of the other students, Freddie, uh, Freddie is uh, Freddie and Santiago are elders in the church in Cotahuasi. And um, Freddie, the first time I met him in 2007, he was under church discipline, and now he's an elder. And uh, so what a blessing, you know, and then he's being trained um, uh, to, to exposit God's word. And, and so it was interesting, the uh, professor <clears throat> this time was Antonio Ortega. Antonio is the uh, head of the TMAI, the Masters Academy International in Mexico City, which was the first one of those. I think Chris could tell you that's what he does, right? And uh, I think there's 17 of those now. And um, this was the the first one, and uh, a blessing for me, Antonio speaks perfect English, so... He and I stayed in a little hotel um, up the street from Brad and Gina. As I was telling Becky that at my age now, it's hard for me to stay with Brad and Gina because I have to go to the bathroom a couple times a night, and they don't have indoor bathroom. Well, they do have an indoor bathroom, but it's just not in the same building that your bedroom is in. you got to walk out down the steps, go over there into that building, and, you know, by the time you do that, you're wide awake. Now what am I got to do? You know, you fall back asleep. Ten minutes later, you got to go again. and it just doesn't work real well. So I stay down the road, you know. But uh, but it, it was a real blessing. Um, the uh, um, These people, I've sp- spoken uh, about Troy and Becky with them, and um, Rosa came up to me right before I left and told me that she was to tell Becky that she was praying for her because she knows she's pregnant. And and um, Rosa was, uh, as she said, muy grande pregnant. And she delivered Saturday. Um, had a baby girl, um, named her this, my wife's name. So that was a blessing for us. And um, they had to ride four and a half hours in an ambulance over the high plains because the baby wasn't positioned properly. And... Um, that was on Thursday, and she delivered Saturday night, so uh, or early in the morning, Saturday. <clears throat> so anyway, continue to pray for them. And so I texted and said, well, how do you get back from the hospital to the village? Oh, we got to ride the bus with a newborn, four and a half hours over the high plains. I was like, nice. Um, the Lord uh, allowed me this time to stretch my faith some, and I rode the bus nine <clears throat> hours to, from Cotahuasi to Arequipa. It was actually a lot better than I ever imagined it would be. I kind of thought, man, if, I, if you could get airplanes to make seats like this, and then maybe if you could get the airplane bathroom on the bus, you'd have it made. That was my biggest stressor was the bathroom. and uh, But it, it was a nine-hour bus ride, um, it's only 220 miles, and it takes nine hours. They run in the middle of the night, leaves at 7, gets in at 4 a.m. But um, <clears throat> but overall, beautiful trip. Had a, the graduation service, as I had mentioned. Uh, got to participate in some of the uh, ministries in the villages, which is always, I, I think, the highlight for me to see brothers and sisters uh, worshiping, you know, our God, the same God, and the level of worship that they have, and the poverty that they live in, is just just takes takes me back. It really humbles me, you know, when I realize that every one of us could be right there, right now, you know. Um, but God, as Acts seventeen tells us, has an appointed time and a place that we all live. So. Um, you know, that, that's a, a real blessing. They don't look at that they've got it bad, you know. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit in my lesson about one of the things there that was interesting. But um, just to give you an idea of what this village ministry is like, um, we uh, went up Canyon one 
afternoon. You you got to arrive like at six when it's getting dark because they all work their sustenance farmers. And this is in the Andes Mountains. The word Andes in Spanish means terraces. So, you know, when you see the terraced, that's how they have their little farms terraced in the sides of the mountains. And everybody goes, you know, the kids, the goats, the lambs, the chickens, the cows, the burros. Everybody goes to the farm. The dogs even go with them, you know. And, and so then they start coming back up at about six and they come to the little church service. And it's a, a blessing to see, you, you know, they've been working in their little fields all day long. They're worn out. And yet they come to worship, you know. And I think, oh, how can I get out of bed? I stayed up too late last night. You know, I just... I start to shrink when I'm there, you know, and in in thinking I'm somebody, right? Uh, so the, the first night we went to a village called Weak, and that was the first village I ever went to. So I saw some of the same people I saw in 2007, you know. And what a blessing they remember me. I remember them. It's kind of cool. And then the next night we went to another village, Iowasi, which means House of the Dead. And uh, it was just even more uh, impoverished. And yet again, you know, they they love the Lord. They sing praise to the Lord. Um, I should have got a TV and showed you a slideshow. I'm saying all this because Chris, our missions pastor, sent an email out that he wants us talking more about missions in the Sunday school classes. So here you go for an update. But I did bring back a souvenir. So if I have to run to the bathroom during my lesson, you'll know what that was. Um, Hopefully that won't happen. Um, So um, Iowasi, we went to that village and it um, started to rain. There was snow up on the top of the mountains there. And yet the people came out in the pouring rain, you know, and um, again, I was just really humbled. We just walked through Ephesians chapter 2, the first eight verses. Um, takes a while because I speak in English. Brad translates into Spanish, and Freddie translates the Spanish into Quechua. So by the time it gets back to me, I can't even remember what I said. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so it was good. The, the next village we visited was Down Canyon, and completely different climate. Down Canyon, they got, you know, you pull in, they got banana trees and, and papayas and oranges and grapes. And I was like, oh, wow, look at all this. And and um, we entered this village and this lady uh, that we were, that kind of is the head of it all, she said, I'll be back in a minute. I got it. She had a big old load of it. I mean, she's about this tall, probably weighs 65, 70 pounds. She's got about that much weight of alfalfa on her back, and she's got to go take it up to feed the mules or something. I don't know. You know, up the trail she goes, and so we're just kind of standing around, and here she comes five minutes later. We go into her house, and she's begging for a teacher to come and teach the Bible to their village, begging for somebody to come, you know, and I just, you know, so I, I, I applaud Brad and Gina for their tenacity and sticking with it over the years. They've been down there for about 23, 24 years serving like that. There is a road now. We were able to take the vehicle, but the trail up above there, Brad was showing me that's where we used to take. This used to be like a three-day trip to get where we went um, from his house when they had to use the mules. And he showed me the spot. They lost a mule one time. He he had sold one of his, but they needed two to make the journey and because uh, they pack them, you know, with all their gear because when they go, they go for a couple weeks. And, and they came around the bend. He showed me the bend, and the mule, something happened. It went over, and... So Faustino's holding the mule, and he's being drugged. They, Brad was screaming, let it go, let it go. And, of course, it went down and crashed, but landed on its feet somehow. And so the uh, box busted open, but all the gear was okay, and they were able to somehow pack it on the other one. But, you know, just little missionary glitches like that. <laughs> so Brad's very thankful for the the vehicle now, you know, that they can drive there and go back to his house at night. But uh, just a a real blessing to be able to 
participate in that. Um, so any questions on what's going on in Peru? Kind of a jet set. Uh, I did get to go fishing once. Somebody asked me that. There's a river there and uh, caught five trout. Uh, I think Brad caught five or six. And so we had a nice trout dinner. Gina cooked them up for us. And uh, my little friend Fabio, uh, he's the six-year-old boy of Rosa and Aramias that just had the baby Saturday morning and um, he caught two so I thought that was interesting he caught both of his before I caught mine but I was like Lord don't let me get skunked here <laughs> come all the way down here no but it was all good but um, again um, thanks to Chris for filling in and I, I think I'll be here the next three weeks and then Chris will be here. Kit and I are headed to Albania for a couple of weeks, and that'll be a whole nother story. But before we jump back into, or before we move forward, I should say, I needed to reset my mind on what I had talked about the first two weeks. So I want to kind of start us back there again. If you look back at Galatians chapter 1, and... Um, we know uh, from what I taught and from what Chris taught that, that Paul uh, says, um, um, I, I like to use my own words sometimes, he says that he's astonished, but um, I would like to throw in, you know, flabbergasted. You know, Paul says that he's flabbergasted. Do you, anybody remember why? What's, what's caused him to be flabbergasted? Astonished. Yeah, how quickly they departed. Now think about that. You know, we we uh, we we take um, um, what's the right word? I want to say pride, but it just sounds like a bad word. <laughs> um, we we take uh, we take it seriously that that we um, want to teach the the true gospel right at our church. So kind of think, you know, us, you know, and, and, and they've, so Paul goes in teaching the true gospel and, and the people are, 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 are just all of a sudden drawn away and, and the, you got this dramatic turn of events and he's flabbergasted, he's astonished, but interestingly, he's not speechless. You know, do you ever just, when something astonishes you, you just kind of go speechless, you know, what, you know, but he doesn't, right? Um, he, he find, they find themselves in this serious situation, and, you know, it, it's grave, right? But right off the bat, what I talked about that first lesson is what happens in verses 3 and 4. Somebody read verses 3 and 4, how he kind of introduces things there. Or just verse 3 is fine. Okay, so he takes them back to where it all began, the gospel, grace, right? Grace and peace. He goes right back to the beginning, right? He's saying, you know what? You guys have really blown it, right? You've really messed it up, you know? And, and it, but in, in his uh, mind, he knows how bad this is. But he kind of says, paraphrase, but all's not lost, guys. You've really blown it here, but all's not lost. He, he knows the Galatians will have a tough time going back to grace because they've lost confidence in the gospel that he preached. So right up front, he brings them straight back to that grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So with those verses, he drives them back to the fundamental fact that Christ gave himself for our sins. Now, what's the, the impact of that, that statement right there? Christ gave himself for our sins. I think that's where Paul's driving them back to, grace and peace. That's the kind of the definition of grace, right? This free, unmerited gift of God, Jesus, giving himself for our sins. What's the impact of that statement like to you personally, which I'm sure it was to them as well, but what about for you personally when you think about that statement? What does it do to your soul, to your heart, when you 
are reminded of that, that Christ gave himself for our sins. Right, good, good. Anybody else? To, isn't that a an extremely humbling statement, right? That Christ gave Himself for our for our sins. You know, when I think of, and, and you know, certainly the initial realization of that. What a hallelujah time, right? But what about now? Years later, here you are. Years later, you know, and and you maybe find yourself in a situation similar to them. You've kind of gotten lost sight of that, and then it comes back again. You know, does that ever happen to you? You know, like you're reading a book or something, and all of a sudden it comes back fresh again. You know, it, it's humbling, is it not, that, that the king of glory would do that? I often think of when that realization comes fresh and new to me again. I like to think of Isaiah chapter 6, you know, where... Uh, uh, Isaiah says, you know, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. You remember that passage? And and that's Jesus sitting there and, you know, and the train of his robe fills the whole temple and, you know, the foundations are shaken. These freaky things are flying around, you know, doing the holy, holy, holy. And, you know, and Jesus is there, and that's him, and he left that and came and gave himself for our sins. That's a, that's a huge wow factor for me. I mean, it humbles me to think the king of glory would leave that and come here. Again, when we uh, think of, you know, it's everything is so clean here, you know, in Woodstock and, you know, crisp and clean and you know um, and Peru's dirty you know I mean it's desert and it's just well y'all live in the desert as well in, in Egypt I mean and it's just the dust and the dirt and the diesel and the grinding of life I call it you know it's just you know and then you know there's the sheep walk down the road and, you know, what sheep do when they don't go far without leaving something behind and, the, you know, and the next thing you know, you're stepping. You know, I mean, we don't have those problems here. And the king of glory stepped out of that and came here. That just smashes me, you know, and I, I think that's what Paul is driving these people to the understanding of again. Hey, guys, you know, this is what really happened, right? And as we've, as I said in the first couple of weeks, and as Chris drove the the point home as well, that this was a letter, you know, that for legalists, you know, those who who seek to earn God's favor by their works, and in a sense, that that is what it's about. But it's also, I think, a letter uh, for those of us who who have made a mess of our lives as Christians, right? Who who are on the the verge of apostasy, almost ready to shipwreck something, right? Our faith, you know, on the brink of moral or spiritual disaster. So I, I think it's both. I think it's to the legalists, you know, that we're wanting to add all this stuff. <clears throat> but it's also to those of us that when we make a huge mistake, we're getting ready to shipwreck, shipwreck things. So it begins and ends by calling wayward believers back to grace, and that's the good news that all of us need to hear because is there anybody here that hasn't blown it at one time or another? You know, any hands? I guess if you raise your hand, then you've blown it right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So because... We've all blown it. You can imagine uh, Paul's shock when he learns that they're turning away again, right? So, so what was it that they were doing? He tells us that they were deserting 
the gospel. They were deserting God, you know, and they were doing it by adding all this stuff again. And uh, they wanted to make the Gentiles become Jews before they could become Christians. They wanted to add the works of the law, if you will, on top of the faith of Jesus Christ and going over to to the um, <clears throat> to the other side. They had to do that. So had an interesting time I mentioned earlier in Weak in that village. And we were teaching uh, Ephesians chapter two, as I said, and and there was probably um there was probably thirty people there and and uh one of the leaders, this this man named Adele and um uh or yeah, that's his name and and there was one lady that that got it. She flat out understood it. You know, we were saying that you're saved by grace through faith, you know, and then we were saying that, you know, how do you get the faith? I was trying to get them to see that that the faith is a gift from God that Paul's talking about in verse 8 because grace is already a gift from God, right? That's a pure definition of grace. So when you're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. He's talking about the faith being the gift of God, not the grace, because the grace already is a gift of God by pure definition. I remember when I first learned that, I didn't believe that when I was saved. You all right with that? You know, I I was saved believing that God brings the grace to the to the altar of salvation and I bring my faith and when the two of them combine then I'm saved that's not what the Bible teaches although God saved me anyway through that but uh, what that verse is actually saying is the faith is a gift from God as well you alright with that? Ephesians 2 8 and I remember when I learned that I was upstairs in my home and this would have been 1992 um, I was upstairs in my home. I'd been saved about a year, and I was reading this little book somebody gave to me by A.W. Pink called The uh, The Sovereignty of God. And um, I read that, and I ran down the stairs with my finger on the sentence. Kid, kid, listen to this. Listen, you know that faith, the 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 the, the want to believe in God, the trust. Yeah, yeah. What what are you talking? About? I said God gave us that, and I mean, I was like nailed. Wow. So I'm teaching that to these Peruvians, and we go through all this, and we ask the question again. Then, so where does the faith come from? And one by one, they just started, kept saying, well, by our obedience, by what we do, by our works. And we're like, how can you say that? We just told you. you know, <laughs> that's what was going on here, right, in Galatians. They were, they were trying to say you got to have that, but then you got to bring this other stuff in here as well. And um, finally, um, the, one of the leaders, Adele, we asked it again a half hour later and he said he said uh by obedience and brad finally just went (laughs) and everybody laughed but you know he got he corrected himself as soon as he said it but you see how their mindset is and that's that's because of a cultural catholicism that they're ingrained there and uh so this one guy in the back this older man he finally says so I've been coming to church all these years thinking that by coming I get forgiveness. You know, and we're like, you know, but you see how that the cultural Catholicism has taught that. So they were actually having a really hard time understanding how freeing this idea that Paul had preached to these Galatians to begin with really was, right? I mean, it's really freeing when you you almost feel like it can't be that easy, right? I think I told you all the first time I taught uh, a couple of weeks back that um, when I went to Israel, I felt like I got to be doing more. I saw the Jews on the Wailing Wall going crazy with their prayers and rocking and in the room over the side flipping through these massive books of the law. And then we come up to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and there's these ladies on the ground on the, on the replica of the tombstone, you know, rubbing their hair on it and crying, bags of rags, getting power out of it. And then we went upstairs to where 
the Golgotha thing is if you've been there and, and you know and there's all this ornate stuff and people and I thought Lord you know these all these people are doing all this stuff and here I am just standing in grace I felt like I got to do more I got you know that's our natural tendency so I don't like to necessarily throw all these Galatian believers under the bus that, real quick because that's our tendency too to want to have to think we got to do right now again that's not a license to just bask in this free grace and go out here and do whatever you want to do right that's not what he's saying because once we get a grip on that what will it do if you love me you'll obey me yeah there you go it drives us to obedience and that's really where the only real obedience can come from right the fact that that uh, we realize that um Otherwise, it's just all works and it's not real obedience. It's just driven by uh, thinking we're going to gain some kind of reward. So Paul went on this trip. You know, it was uh, no doubt a huge success. Like John asked me when I came in, he said, well, everybody get saved. You know, well, you know, here, yeah, a lot, you know, Um, real world uh, reality, you know, well, not so much, perhaps, but um, but here we know that sinners were saved, miracles were performed, churches were planted, um, and, and this was no doubt one of the most successful missionary journeys in the history of, of Christianity. Um, in, in, but in no time at all, they're giving it up, they're deserting, Paul tells them. And, and not only that, I mean, in, in verse 6, again, so quickly deserting. And, you know, he goes on and shows them that they're uh, deserting um, God, basically. And, you know, they, these agitators had come in. They were twisting the theology. And, um, yeah, so they were distorting. It says, so what does it mean to distort something? Make it unclear. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. You know, it, it's kind of like if, um, you know, if you're looking at, at if you, I don't, know, this, I don't know why these things pop into my mind. I'll just say it this way. This is what popped into my mind, so you all get it. So, like, one of the things I like to do, if I'm off hiking or somewhere and there's a creek, I, I have to play in the creek. I can't just continue my hike. So I look in the water. I, I like to find crawfish. And so you go, you see a nice flat rock there. You turn the rock over. You know, it's this, the creek is crystal clear, right? The gospel's crystal clear. The distortion comes. You turn the rock over. You know what happens? The guys that like to play in creeks, what happens immediately when you turn the rock over? The water becomes... What? Muddy. Muddy, yeah. And and you have to stand there. It's distorted. It's unclear. Yeah, but God wired fish this way. You would think that, uh oh, it just got muddy. I'm going to take off. Don't they just sit there? And as soon as it clears up again, you can see them. And that's kind of, you think so. I, I love that definition, right? To, to make it unclear, to just bring in something to cause a little bit of of uh, distortion a little bit of well maybe you know um, interestingly this year first time in my whole life I'm 70 years old now first time in my whole life I was hiking and uh, and I turned over a rock and there was a crawfish and a salamander under the same rock pretty cool (laughs) I called my wife I said you're not going to believe this she's like what I said, there's a crawfish and a salamander under the same rock. And then I thought, oh, the poor guy, maybe I just ruined his, he was getting ready to clamp onto that salamander and eat him. Ruined his dinner. But uh, look at verse 8. So it's unclear. Look how Paul drives this home, though. Somebody read verse 8. So, let me tell you, I'll ask you, if an angel came up and started telling you something, and uh feel like Shane probably preached the gospel to you pretty clear last week, and, but an angel shows up, what are you going to do? 
you know, Shane said this, and the Bible says this. Shane taught me the Bible, and that's what it says. But this angel, he's saying this. Would that cause some doubt in your mind? You know, I think it would for me, right? I mean, I don't know what an angel would look like. I don't think it's like what you... I don't. Do they even have Christian bookstores anymore? You know, but you remember when you used to go in there and they had all these weird-looking little chubby things in there with the probably not but um anyway i think it would be pretty impressive if to me to want to maybe listen to an angel um but paul is telling us you know even if an angel tells you something you know you can't let that influence you matter of fact he says what let them be accursed so what does it mean to be accursed Okay, yeah, so what does that mean? Hellbound, yeah. I mean, even if an angel comes, right, or anybody else, um, those are pretty harsh words, are they not? But think about this now. Think about a, um, again, I'll just go back to Peru because that's fresh in my mind. So there are false religions in Peru as well, right? There's this group there called the Israelites, and they're, they're Peruvians that, I guess, I mean, I shouldn't say maybe because I don't really know, but I guess they think they're Jews but, or Israelites. They dress in the, that kind of outfit and everything, and, and they're, they're propagating this different gospel. And, and, and Paul is saying that anybody that does that, let them be accursed, anathema, right? set apart, devoted to destruction. Those are pretty harsh words. What do you think you would get today in America if you approached somebody else like that? So you all know I've told you some of the uh, Jeff Horn. I go with him sometimes and do street evangelism in Atlanta. And every once in a while we encounter, you know, somebody of a different uh, religion um, and what if, you know, I said to one of the, those guys, well, brother, you know, according to the Bible, you're damned. You know, what do you think would happen? You know, you might get your throat cut. You might, you know, I mean, it certainly wouldn't be a, you know, but that's what, that's how severe Paul is taking this, right? Paul is saying you are a cursed anathema devoted to destruction that's what what you've got coming if you're teaching anything other than what i originally told you in the true gospel so with all of that in mind somebody read verses 10 through 12 Okay, so one of the primary objectives of these Judaizers that were bringing in this other stuff was was that they were stirring up so much controversy and confusion to to purposefully discredit Paul's apostolic authority. So why would they want to do that right off the bat? Why would they want to discredit the fact that he's an apostle? Okay, right, good. Discredit the messenger, and then, you know, once you've accomplished that, then the message obviously is no good, right? So they're trying to undermine his teaching, right? And to accomplish that, then what did they have to do? Again. Yeah, yeah. So, and now that little seed of doubt is planted, right? So, and uh, um, Chris did a, a great job in what I listened to of, of um, showing us what um, they accused Paul of doing. So, do you remember what some of those things were? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think the big deal, the Mosaic Law, right? The, 
You got to be circumcised and this, that, and the other, right? To make the gospel more appealing to the Gentiles by removing, they were saying, Paul's making this more appealing to the, well, the Jews and, and the Gentiles as well by making it more appealing that, well, you don't have to do that, right? And I remember Chris made the comment of, you know, the guys that procrastinated on the circumcision were probably really enjoying Paul's teaching because now they didn't have to go and do that, right? So they accused him of putting aside these mosaic ceremonies. And they, they said that it, it made the gospel easy, right? Because you didn't have to do all this stuff. Now, what might we call that today? That guy is what? Well, I was thinking the other side of that. Easy believism. Yeah. You know, that just, you know, and so what are some forms of that? You know, we're talking about the real gospel, the one Paul preached, the one you and I would preach. What is the other side of that today would be, I think, that easy believism. So, n- nothing? You got to do what? Just believe and that's it. I'm going to say you believe. Yeah, say you believe. The so, universalism. All right, sure. Universalism. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, I mean, really, my, the Jesus, my Jesus? You ever heard that? I don't like it when people say that. My Jesus would never send anybody to hell right? All you have to do is believe. Well, you know, I don't know if it's so much so like this nowadays, but, you know, living in the Bible Belt, um, you know, if we were to take 10 of y'all and send five to Walmart and five to the outlets and and do a survey and everybody ask uh, 100 people if they believe Jesus, you know, here in the South, you'd probably get a pretty unanimous, right? And that's what the easy believe. All you got to do is believe, right? And and you're saved. So, but the Bible says that, doesn't it? Doesn't it? So, what's wrong? You know, it doesn't. But uh, it, it says that uh, what's John three sixteen? Oh yeah. You know. That's only talking about those who are predestined <laughs> for salvation. Yeah. <laughs> you and I would agree with that, but, you know, but I believe, right? So, of course, I think it all drives back to what you said. You know, the real belief is going to produce the works, the obedience. And that's how, you know, that's so, so easy believism. I mean, it has gotten so bad that, you know, people will do evangelism and say, you know, if you stand with your uh, right leg up and pull on your left earlobe and say this prayer, you know, you can get saved, right? And, uh, and I kid you not, in places in the world where that takes place, you know, they come back, I promise you this is the truth, they come back home, you know, short-term trips, go and do that kind of stuff. And they come back home and they talk about that, you know, all these hundreds and, th- or, you know, maybe thousands of people prayed. They said the prayer, you know, they're saved. And then you go, you know, even a month later and, and go to the local church and ask them how many new people are there. Well, none. Why? Why would there be? Well, because we had a thousand pray this prayer, you know, doesn't work that way. There's, um, if you ever have meet Brad and Gina, there's, um. There's there's two words don't say in front of them, or you might have a fight on your hands. Uh, Saddleback Church. <laughs> Leave that alone. Uh, you know, they came to the Cotahuasee Canyon, and they rented the bull ring, which holds the whole town, 2,000 people. And um, they did this evangelistic event, you know, and everybody got saved. You know, and but a week later, there wasn't a single person new in the church, you know, but they went back home and said, yeah, that's a, that's a reached people group now. We, that's, that's they all got saved. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, so, he, you know he's there. Uh, who, at, where? At, Glorietta. Is he? Glorietta's where all the Southern Baptist preachers go in New Mexico, and they have their conclave, and they talk about how they take a church from 500 to 5,000 or I mean, that, yeah, that's where it's happening. I guarantee you he was there. Yeah. Numbers. 
Yeah. So it's not about that, right? And that's that's what Paul's driving at with these guys, or, or they're they're trying to. Let me say it this way: that they're trying to undermine his authority so that they can show that what he's doing, what he did, was not legitimate. Um, so what were um, uh, what were what would be some of the things that they could undermine his authority with? You know, what, Paul, why are you legitimate? Let's say it that way. How? How? Pardon? No, why is he, yeah, they, well, either or, yeah. They would say, Paul, why are you, why, how can we count on you that you're really legitimate? You know, we're saying you're not. Why? He saw the risen Christ. He saw the risen Christ. But, you know, they might question, well, you know, I don't know, you know, you weren't one, of, you were persecuting when he was here. But, yeah, we know that, right? So that would make him legitimate, Right. So, but what would be some things that they might say you aren't legitimate because? Well, I was going to say his imprisonment was constantly, you know, uh, clearing out. Yeah, so how could you be a Christian if you're all, you know, but look what he was in prison for, right? You know, and, um, you know, I, I remember one time a guy in the ministry I used to have, uh, the guy's, tended to end up in those kind of places and um this one guy told me he said i went to visit him in jail and he said oh tim there's this guy in here he's anointed and he's preaching the gospel in here and i'm thinking well that would be paul that's what he was doing and i said well what's he in here for well it's like his 10th time you know and i was like well again for what while he's selling heroin but you know that's not a legitimate spokesperson for the gospel in jail don't listen to him but yeah i mean and what about um you know they they would wonder well, where did you get your message and authority well you know as you said that you know well he did see christ on the damascus road right and and they they might have you know might have claimed uh that um you know will you how, how could you be a, an apostle and and have persecuted all these christians in the past right and this would have really made him mad romans eleven thirteen, that he declared himself to be an apostle of the gentiles well you think the judaizers would have would have liked that probably not you know probably not you know i mean they didn't like the gentiles so um but paul didn't make his defense on the uh reflex of his feelings but more so on the basis of facts right so he didn't make an emotional appeal for for renewed personal loyalty to himself but rather he presented clear evidence that contradicted the accusations that were being made against him you know so his concern wasn't for his popularity or his personal success but his concern was for god's truth so he defends the gospel um, by saying, verse 10, for, I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, the word for there in the starting of verse 10 is an interesting word in, in Greek that has a number of meanings which really you determine by the context and it can be it can be translated because yes indeed certainly what and why and sometimes it can be translated there which i think is very helpful in this context right so think of it this way there referring back to verses eight and nine right don't listen to an angel don't listen to any other gospel or you are accursed there would I do this for the approval of man? You know, I mean, that's pretty hard, isn't it? He's saying, hey, guys, listen up. I wouldn't have said you were going to be accursed if I were trying to please man. So we know right up front that Paul is not a people pleaser. 
right? He's not a people pleaser. He per- he could have left that verse out of there and just gone in to his testimony, which is where he goes next. But he doesn't. He takes a pause almost right here and shows us that uh, that this is referring back to the fact that if I were trying to please people, I would not have cursed them, right? So he was not trying to please man. That would just be ridiculous in Paul's because uh, he, he even says that if that were true, I like the way the Legacy Bible translates that. He says that I would not be a slave of Christ. If I was trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant, a slave of Christ. Right? Um, so very, very forceful language. Regretfully, today, there are a lot of men behind the pulpit that are still being man pleasers rather than yeah. sticking to the word. Yeah. So is it hard to stick to the word and not be a man pleaser? Yeah. Yeah, sure. And I mean, not just in the context of the gospel either. I mean, if we just look at our lives across the board, we all at some point or another throughout the day probably fall into that, do we not? So I guess it sounds like we probably ought to stop right here. So we'll pick up talking more about this man pleasing next week and and then move on to... uh, Paul's, I love the way he moves on. If you want to read ahead uh, in this section, he moves on to uh, kind of like, well, I won't spoil it, but he moves on talking about, you know, who he was before Christ, who he, what happened and who he is now in Christ, which we would all just call our testimony, right? And that's a good way of thinking about giving your testimony. So any final comments? Absolutely, and that's we'll talk about that same some next week. Absolutely, we fall into that, you know, we really do, and and not just in serving Christ, perhaps. I mean, even selfish motives, you know. Uh, um, that's enough. Yeah, we'll leave it there. <laughs> but yes, good point. Bring that. We'll start with that next week if I can remember it. <laughs>